0: God wants to talk to you. Very famously, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Joy Behar on The View said that it was all right to talk to God, but if he talks to you, that's a sign of mental illness. And that was heartbreaking that the, clou- the crowd the studio there laughed and cheered at this. God does want to talk to you. But however, most of us, for some reason, don't receive him audibly, I would have to put myself on that score most of the time. But he is talking if we are listening. We live in a noisy world. Therefore, it can be hard to hear him. But he is talking. And most Christians believe this, at least in theory. They may believe that they talk with him in prayer and that he talks back through the Spirit, which I I believe as well. Maybe they think, well, we talked to him in prayer and he talks back through the Bible. I believe that as well. There's a major difference between Christians and other people who believe that there is a God as in a creative force. There's a group of people called deists. Deists believe that there is a supernatural being out there, a creative force out there. Whether or not it has a personality or not, they don't say. But they believe that it created the world but doesn't have any interest in us. One famous illustration, deists say that God is like a, a person who makes a clock, winds it, and then sets it off on, his, on a shelf to do its own thing. So he made us, he set us loose in the universe, but hasn't paid any attention to us. You might wonder why we'd be talking about deists, well, deists don't believe in things we believe in. They don't believe in the deity of Jesus. They don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in an active God or the inspiration of scriptures. We do believe this, but deism can slip into our attitudes. Whenever we start thinking, well, regardless of what we say or do, God already has a plan in place and we can't change anything. It's almost as if God has wound the universe like a clock and sent it on its way never to change no matter what we do, no matter what we hope, no matter how we pray. In some ways deism is a reflection of a Christian concept in some Christian circles called Calvinism. John Calvin was a great theologian who helped the Protestant Reformation move from a divided fractious people to a solid theologically based people. He actually had his own city, Geneva, a walled city of Christians. Christians had their own army and everything. Before you think that's cool, no it wasn't. Um, there are a lot of things wrong with that concept, but Calvinism says this, before creation was, God was there, All right, We're with them so far, I believe in that, but once God created creation, every single thing that will ever happen, he planned. And that's when I pull back. You might believe that as well, but let's think about this just a little bit. How far are you going to take this? R.S. Sproul, um, one of the famous theologians in Calvinism, said if there is one single atom out there in the universe that is not under the direct control of God, then our salvation is not assured. That's a problem. Think about this. After the murders of the children in Sandy Hook Elementary School, John Piper, a famous author and Calvinist teacher, mega church pastor, actually, in the far north, was asked on a radio program, do you believe that God foreordained which child would be shot? when they'd be shot, and which child would live and die. And he said, yes. Oh, God's not a child killer. God did not send, I don't ever name the shooters, did not send the shooter into the Florida school recently. That's not part of God's wondrous plan, or God would not have sent Jesus to tell us to love one another and to change our minds and change our hearts. Those who believe that he has planned everything, please remember, he talked to Moses and he said, you know, let's try this. But if that doesn't work, let's try this. And if that doesn't work, let's try this. God is in this cosmic dance with us. Could he have made us like a bunch of wee robots that that there's nothing we can do. We're all gonna just do as programmed. Yes, he could have done that. Could he have been a a deist God where he just wound us up and set us loose and has no contact with us? Yeah, he could have done that, but he didn't. God wants to be involved. He wants to talk to you. I believe with all my heart that Calvinism is completely wrong, as is deism. God in Scripture is intensely and personally interested in you. He, as people have tried all through the centuries to find a way to say this, the scripture says he sings over you. Others say our pictures are on his refrigerator. I get that. He calls us, not just as a group called humans, but as individuals. He knows our name. He comes to us. He speaks to us. He even counts the number of hair on our head. Fair enough. That's not as big a job with some of us, but he knows. This is a God that says, come, let us reason together. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be as wool. Come on, let's talk about this, he says. This is a God that assures us he is with us as we reason things together and make decisions. Truly, I tell you, look at how much influence you have on the, on the universe. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Now, this promise is made to his apostles, I do not believe that the promise that He will do whatever you want Him to do is to everybody in all places, and that's why the universe is not in chaos. Because let's face it: if if it was true that every time any two of us agree about something, God did it, well, what? Which two? Some of you pray for rain; others pray for sun; others, if you like snow, you're completely wrong. But you like snow um others of you like like scorching hot days and that's so God's not saying things like that but if you notice with his apostles he was saying let's work this out we, i will work with you what do you want how can i help you so how does god speak to us we're not apostles how does he speak to us you know there's no single answer to this question but we can look and see what he did. God could have sent down a manual. I was told as a boy he, he did. The Bible is a manual. It's a blueprint. It's a legal book. He could have sent that, but that's not what the Bible is. He could have sent down a thesis, a massive tome on theology. If you've ever read one of those, you know how hard it is to stay awake or interested. It's tough. But how did God approach us? He approached us with story. In the beginning, once upon a time, he talks to us. Or in the book of Job, he'll say, there was a man called Job. When Jesus walks among us, what does he say? There was a, a farmer that went out to plant in a field. Or there was a, a woman who lost a coin that was very important to her. He starts telling us stories. He talks to us through stories. He even had writers repeat stories, each of them putting their own spin on it. You ever read First and Second Kings and then read First and Second Chronicles and went, déjà vu? Yeah, telling the same stories, different spin. The same as we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, different spin, same stories, pretty much. John adds a bunch, and uh, Mark leaves a couple out, but pretty much the same. He wants to show us that through story, and this is, this is where we're getting to, our entire lives are lived in thin places because they are lived in the stories. I am um, every now and then get invited, it's not terribly often, but every now and then get invited to speak at an FBI National Academy meeting. And that's a lot of fun. Sometimes they even give me stuff, that's even more fun. They they usually don't pay, but they give me stuff. That's all right. And I have a shirt that has the the National Academy thing on it and such. And that I found that that brings up conversations. I was in a Kroger here in town when a man that was stocking uh, chips looked over at me and he goes, "So, wh- what are you?" Because National Academy is for different agencies. It's not Quantico. It's a different different thing. And I looked at him and said, "I'm I'm a." pastor here in town, but I speak for the group. I said, who are you? And he was, he's a deputy, but he also works EOD, Explosive Ordnance. He's the guy that does that kind of thing, but he doesn't make enough money in that job to survive, so he stacks potato chips. But I listened to a story. He has a story. The guy that you go by in Kroger has a story, and sometimes you need to hear the story, because it's not just a guy bagging chips, it, uh, it's, it's a guy that has put his life on the line for us, and we walk right by him. Last night, I, I got in, landed in Nashville, um, flew in from Houston, which Southwest direct flight meant we landed in Panama City. Um, I don't, I know, it'll say nonstop, but it but It does. Um, anyway, you, what they just mean is, we're stopping, but you can't get off. And I'm going, all right, fair enough. So then we turn around, we come to Nashville, and I get into the, um, the shuttle to take me out to the parking, and, and I'm the only guy in the shuttle, and the driver is a talker. And I'm going, okay. So he starts talking. He starts telling me his story. I start telling him mine. He had a great story. And I I got to know a a person that I can now respect. I know what his kids do for a living. I know how they voted. (laughs) Story. Story is powerful. Everywhere you go is a thin place. If you keep your eyes open and your ears open. But we make so much noise in our world we do not hear our God. Please remember... He gave us two ears, but only one mouth. Maybe that should be the ratio of our listening and speaking. God has other ways to speak to us. If we fail to pay attention, that's on us, not on him. Romans chapter 1, is one of my favorite passages, actually. The wrath of God is being revealed. It's already happening. From heaven, against all the godlessness and wickedness of people... Who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. You might say, how? Here we go. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse." For although they knew God, in other words, they saw creation, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Wow. We can know about God by looking at what he made. Alexander Campbell used to say there were two books that told us about God. One was the Bible One was creation. I don't think we talk about that as often as we should. But you can see God. You can walk with God. You can hear God by watching and listening to what He made. I I love the birds and the sounds that birds make. Some of them aren't really pleasant, but I still like those as well. I still miss Maggie. I'll explain. We had a magpie. Oh, we didn't own it. It lived in a tree out in front of our house in Colorado. And Maggie always had a complaint. Now, magpies do. That's all they do. I'd walk out in the morning, and just constant. And I'm going, way to rev me up for my D. But I would always talk back to Maggie. And my you know, Cammie would every so often you know laugh at this and I said, No, but watch, Maggie insists on having the last word. No matter what I would do, she would do another one. I even got once to where I'm getting in my truck, about to shut the door, and I said, All right then, goodbye. I, said, All right. I love that. I still miss Maggie, she's probably there going, Yeah, I drove him away. When you pay attention you almost have to intentionally ignore what you see to say there is no God. Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. He's watching to see if you're watching. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? Now, there's an attitude there of the psalmist that says, God's watching, but everybody's bad. We're going to come back to that attitude a little bit later. It's never true. It's never true. I've had people all my life that will say, Oh, things have never been this bad before. Yeah, they have. Been worse. And yet, we're still here. God still loves us. Don't panic. I've had people all my life say, "Old oh, people today don't... Hang on. Are you aware that more as a percentage of the population, more of us go to church now on a weekly basis than did during the time of Washington and Jefferson? We, God's at work. But you won't hear him if all you're listening to is media. You've got to get out and see the people he made and listen to creation. Everything we know about science indicates that there is a God. Something cannot come from nothing. I'm actually reading a book about nothing right now, written by a physicist. It is a fun book. I know written by a physicist and fun have never occurred in the same paragraph before. But truly, this guy has a lot of wet. He's not a believer in God. That's obvious in his book. But he writes with wit and humor, making the subject um, acceptable. But nothing is a real issue for physicists. It, it's how do we deal with nothing? Because there's quite a lot of it. I want you to imagine, I thought about doing this this morning, but it's really, you, you wouldn't be able to see it anyway because we don't have um, any cameras up here. If you, if you see all of this space in here, I did some math this week see all this space, and all these people, and we took all the empty space out of it, even within our atoms. Do you remember you drew those, those things in high school where you had a nucleus, then you had an S1 and an S2 and all of these orbits? We shrunk all of that. We could shrink it into about the size of six grains of salt. Everything else is empty. That's annoying to physicists. So they have to work on, how did we get something out of all this nothing? And they talk about how it elongated and then gravity came in, but then that gives them a problem, because you can't have gravity without mass and there's nothing. We believe there is something. There is someone out there. Someone is holding this universe together. I've said this before, but just real quick, There is not enough mass in the universe to hold the universe together. We should, as we were spending, we should be flying off. All stars, all orbits, all planets, we should be flying off, but we're not. And so they look for dark matter. Hasn't been found yet. They look for strings. String theory hasn't been found yet. And they might find it, but they haven't found it yet. These are all theories. The big question is, who's or what is holding us together, and we look and we say, it's a who. It's a who. Sometimes we just need to look for the brush strokes to recognize the artist. I don't know much about art. My wife has tried, God bless her. She's tried to civilize me. But I I can tell a Rembrandt from a Renoir. I, I can tell a Van Gogh from anybody else. Uh, and I can tell a Picasso because I don't care for it. Uh, I, I can tell because there's a style to it. I talked to an orthopedic surgeon once who talked to me about God, and he said, I think of God every time I work on a joint because God found a couple of elegant solutions, and he kept using them over and over. And I loved his phrase, elegant solutions, to, to a problem. He said, whether it's a bug or a bird or an elephant or a human, you can tell the same artist had a solution to an issue, and he put it into place. The brushstrokes, they're there. God had other ways to speak to us as well. In Psalm 8, uh, the psalmist refers to creation the same way that uh, Paul did in Romans chapter 1, but then he adds more ways that creation and what has been created can show us who God is. I love Psalm 8 and verse 2. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Let's hold that up there for a moment. Uh, A little while ago, you may have noticed that Mark stepped away from his microphone and kind of turned around to the others, and they stepped away from theirs just to hear your voices swell. Wasn't well, that a neat moment? It was. He he's got great instincts for this. There are a lot of times where I'm struggling, and your singing gives me strength. Your singing reminds me of hope. But you know what's really amazing? is when I look and see the little ones singing. And the little ones aren't afraid to put their hands up. We'll sing. We stand and lift up our hands, but we're not going to do it. They don't know that, so there they go. And they'll laugh and they'll sing. And to watch them, you will see God. He breaks through with children. Watching sports, we can take that off now. Thank you. Watching sports, I see a lot of it. I I enjoy the Olympics. I'm not invested in it. You know, none of these things are things I do. You know, I can fall off a mountain fast too, but nobody gives me a medal for it. (laughs) I cannot help but think that God enjoys it when we play because he put play in us. He put play in kids. He put play in animals. He put play in everything. I think he loves watching us play. Even in our daydreams, we play. You might think, I don't play. In your daydreams, you do. You're playing this. You're playing that. You're playing different roles in different scenarios. God likes it when we play. Watch my grandson. I got back in time to watch his last game of four yesterday. Played on two different teams. He was born to play basketball. Now, he can play any sport. He's already proven that at eight. But you put a ball in his hand and all of a sudden he's a different creature. Something comes over him. And I'm going, my prayers for him yesterday weren't that he would win, although he did, because, you know, mine. But <laughs> my prayers for him were no injury, but I kept saying, God, let him rejoice in how you made him. Do you remember the old movie Chariots of Fire? Eric Liddell, who's the, the real character... That the movie is based upon actually did say to a minister who was trying to get him not to be frivolous and run races. He says, Remember that God made you. And he said, Yes, but he also made me fast. I think God enjoys our play. I think he enjoys our play in other forms as well, not just sports, but in art, literature, sculpture, painting, designs, songs. All architecture. I think he enjoys this. I've experienced thin places in cathedrals in Europe, and I imagine some of you have as well. I've experienced thin places in the ruins of churches and the ruins of castles in Scotland, in deserted ghost towns in the western U.S. I've experienced thin places along the shore, in the mountains, in the storm. God is everywhere. And he is speaking. But you have to go silent and open your eyes and ears. Duncan Campbell has written a book called, interestingly enough, Ten Places. He says that he sees God and Jesus in the Harry Potter books and movies. What? Yes, he does. You see, some, you see a young man who bravely submits to death in order to protect those he loves. Then he comes back to life. Oh, by the way, spoiler alert, He comes back to life in order to defeat evil once and for all. And the power behind all of this in the books is not magic. The power behind it all is love and friendship and loyalty. I've heard it said before that the difference between Harry Potter and the True Blood series is that in Harry Potter, you need friends, loyalty, sacrifice, and love. In the True Blood series, you need a boyfriend. I think that's true. I think it's true. The bad guy, Campbell says, never even sees it coming because he doesn't understand that love will defeat him. We see it because we are love. We are created by God who is love. If you're looking for God, let me give you a clue. Look in the empty spaces. Look in the quiet spaces in between. He's in the big places too. But look for the empty spaces. I talked to Cammy about this recently because I thought I'd heard it before and, and she helped me understand it some more. In Japanese art, have you ever looked at Japanese art? There's a lot of white on that page. A little bit here of, of a drawing and then over here there's a little bit of calligraphy, I guess I'd call that. Uh, I, I don't know the terms. But there's a lot of white there. I'm told by people that know this stuff that the use of space is as important to the Japanese artist as, the, as color or skill in the drawing itself. I see that with God. God uses silence. He uses space to come to us. And I want to give you a story and leave you with that story today to help illustrate this. My favorite character in the Old Testament it's a real close race. It really is. But I'm going to say it's Elijah. He's a John Wayne of Old Testament prophets. Really. He just, oh my goodness, he's the kind of prophet we wanted all prophets to be. He jumped in. He got things done. He saw evil. He reared up and he stared it down. He fought it and pushed it back. When he saw evil in the land, he declared a drought. You will now suffer. And They did. Not a drop of rain fell for years. He stared down the evil king Ahab. He went up on, on, mount, on a mountain, we would call it a hell, on a mountain and defeated the prophets of Baal. And that was a dangerous thing because those guys had a lot of sharp things hanging off of them. They had a lot of knives and swords. It was part of, the, part of the whole thing of being a Baal guy. He went after them and he won. His faith was astounding. One of my favorite stories when it was time to remove the drought and bring back the rain, he decided to go pray to God to bring the rain. So he gets down in a prayer stance. You prayer people here, you know this because we have prayer people here that are like Elijah. Got into a stance, started praying. He had a young man standing nearby, and he said, Go look and see if there's over the sea and see if any clouds are coming. Keeps praying. Guy comes back, No, he keeps praying. He won't get up to check. He's going to keep praying sends the guy seven times. Now, the way the Hebrews use words, seven means all the times it required. So it might have been the number seven, or it might have been 40. With Elijah, he's going to stay right there till it happens. Finally, the young boy comes back, and he goes, well, there's a little one. It's about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah turns to him and says, run. Tell Ahab, get in a chariot." And go fast because this rain's gonna come so fast it can overtake a chariot. Now, would you do that if you saw one little one? His faith was amazing. By the way, it did. It did rain so hard it overcame chariots. I love Elijah, but Elijah stumbled. He had his high points, and all of us, all of us have our low points. We're, me, you, all of us are susceptible in those low uh, portions. At his high point, he comes off, and he finds he's been marked for death. King Ahab has said he must die. Jezebel says he must die. So he runs, and he hides in a cave. And that's really odd, because if you read this story, a bunch of prophets had just been killed in a cave. But he goes and hides in a cave. He'd lost contact with God. The communication was gone. The rabbis tell us today that he'd had so much success as a powerful gunslinger for God that he had forgot to maintain communication with God. We can do that so easy. Whenever we, our program or our preferences or the way we do things and our, our jobs or we, we, we focus so hard on this, it gets too noisy to communicate with our God. God. He had lost touch, even though God fed him, was sending ravens, who are related to magpies, by the way. Yes. In Texas this week, some grackles started yelling at me. They're related to them as well. I started, I started laughing in the middle of a parking lot. That's, people worry about me. But I, I stood there in the parking lot and just kind of watched the grackles for a while. They brought food and fed him. That would have been impressive, but he still didn't get it. So he's hiding in a cave and God comes along and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah tells him, just like that psalmist said, I'm alone, the whole world is turned against you. I'm the only one that's faithful. And God goes, no. And God leaves him. He says, go stand in the mouth of the cave on the mountain and watch for me. This is really important. We get this. God tells him, I'm coming. Watch for me. So he goes, by the way, wouldn't your heart be going? And and so he's he's right there. And all of a sudden, an earthquake uh, comes. I'm sorry, a wind comes. Oh my goodness. It's a powerful wind. It breaks rocks. That's a powerful wind. It might even be a cyclone, which is what the Historical marker up front says hit our building back in the 70s, even though there are no cyclones in the Northern Hemisphere. Oh, man. <laughs> Somebody needed to check that. Uh, anyway, could have been a wind shear, a tornado, but cyclone? <sighs> I'm over it. Uh, all right. Um, it breaks the rocks. The scripture says, but God was not in the wind. It goes quiet again. Then an earthquake strikes the region. It's a powerful one. It shakes everything. But God was not in the earthquake. Then a fire came from nowhere, swept over the area. But God was not in the fire. And then came a gentle whisper. Elijah went out. And there was God. God restored him to his task and to his people because God was willing to stand there and look for God in the silent places, the empty places, the not so dramatic places. For God often does not come in the big event, He comes in the space in between. Would you please stand? God is speaking to you. He is speaking to you in a hundred ways, but you might have to go silent to hear him. You might have to find some empty space to hear him. Look at these passages. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Come near to God, and he will come near you to you. Could we have those repeated so we could all read them again, please? The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Come near to God, and he will come near to you.